and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I'm here as ever with Ruth. Hello. We have a change of venue today. Instead of being in the pub, uh, which was very noisy last time, we are instead on my balcony today here in Boston. A lovely, beautiful day. So I apologise if you hear air conditioning noises, someone cutting their lawn or probably sirens which is our which is our usual um lots of us lots for us to talk about sorry today um the big topics obviously the wales england women's game but also a little preview on the ireland and denmark games for the men which are coming up this week as well so wales england what did you think well it was incredibly disappointing wasn't it and we actually said in our in our little snippet that went out on on Twitter after the game. Can I just interrupt you there? That has over a thousand <laughs> views, so thank you to whoever watched that. I, I think that means we've gone viral. We're an internet sensation now. <laughs> um, Sorry. But one of the points that we discussed then was the fact that it's because the campaign has felt so successful that actually the disappointment is very real. In, yeah. a, in a more normal campaign, it would have, you know, things would have just petered out and followed their standard patterns. So, uh, what I don't want to get lost in this, the disappointment of Friday is just how successful a campaign it actually was yeah. and how much the girls achieved and, and how much they brought the, the football community in Wales together behind them. And so I hope that the, the change in that keeps, keeps pushing forward. And I, and I, think, um, I think that was manifested on Friday, just the size of the crowd the trouble that the FAW went to, the fan zone, you know, Hayley having her, her shot yeah. there. All of that is a great sign going forward. And, and the number of young girls in the crowd that were like starstruck. Yeah. And that's that's got to be a positive going forward. And I think we've just got to make sure that we keep that momentum up, despite the disappointment of Friday itself. No, I, t- I totally agree. I think everything that's happened through all of this has been a massive positive. Um, and I think as you say it's just a barometer of the success of the, of the campaign as a whole that, of how disappointed we were on Friday I mean we always talk about we don't necessarily expect to qualify for everything be it the men or the women but we at least want the opportunity to kind of for all of the games to matter and that you know to be part of that it definitely mattered on Friday and I know it wasn't the result we wanted but uh, it is definitely the beginning of something and I saw Gabs, Danny Gavadon tweeted out uh, I wasn't there for the end, I was there for the beginning, which I think was a perfect way of summing it up and I think, you know, we'll come to the kind of future of things in a, in a few minutes, but I agree it was, it's, it's had a huge impact on Wales and world football and just everything really it's been a very successful and enjoyable campaign um, looking at the match itself first half was great the, the game plan absolutely worked um, we threatened them at times going forward. I think we were a little bit lucky because they had the goal offside that wasn't offside, I didn't think. Um, but overall, just on the first half, what what did you think? I mean, I agree, I agree with you. I think the game plan was not dissimilar from what you were describing before the, before the game, of you know trying to hold it till 75 minutes or so, see what the position was, if we had our backs against the wall, okay, see it out for a nil-nil draw and hope that that was enough for the playoffs. Unlikely, but at least. And if and if we felt we had opportunities, okay, maybe push forward a bit in the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Of course, it didn't work out yeah. like that because of when we conceded. Um, but I think that was the, the basic game plan and that worked fine to 60 minutes or so. And then the wheels came off a bit, yeah. didn't they then? 
I think that's the, my only personal kind of gripe, if you like, with the whole thing. Is I, I remember we talked uh, after the Cyprus Cup games a couple of months ago, maybe six months ago. Um, we played Italy, lost 4-0, and I remember saying to you at the time I was worried if that was like a blueprint for the England game. Um, and it didn't happen first time round. Obviously, you know, everything was perfect the first time round, but this time round I felt like the, what happened in that Italy game did sort of happen in this game as well, and we kind of lost our way a little bit. The first goal went in, the bubble got burst, and and that was that really. So I thought, I thought it was a, a shame as I say if I'm being ultra critical about what happened and in such a short space space of time um, and obviously the manner of the goals that we conceded you know whilst it is great that we got to the, the place we did I think it's only fair that we kind of we're still honest in our kind of uh, appraisal is that the right word? That'll do. Of the game. <laughs> um, the first goal I, I don't really think anyone can do I don't think there's anyone's fault I think we've just got to the point where we're just scrambling a bit and in the end you know the ball just bounced their way and and, and you know good finish to be fair mm-hmm. um, I think the scrambling part is interesting I think that if you think about the game at St Mary's obviously we were like playing at 150% of people's yeah. capabilities at that point and the fact that we had Roe and Escort there and we had neither of them at, at Rodney Parade and I wonder whether that was just that having to dip just that ever so slightly into the next tier of players our, our squad is like the men you know we, we we can find 11 but as soon as we go past that maybe things are not quite where they should be um, and I wonder whether the fact that we were missing both of them was the sort of tipping point in terms of how organised we could be at the back I, I know what you're saying I I, I I think the game would have been different had they been there, but I think the game would have been different more in an attacking sense if we'd mm-hmm. been there, had they been there, sorry. Just purely because of the, of the manner of the goals that we conceded, I don't think that, that they would have had that much of an impact on it. I mean, like you say, the first one's a bit of a scrum, and I think you're right, the, the depth of the squad. But the first one is just, a you know, the ball's bounced for them and and they've made the most of it. Yeah. Um, the second one and the third one... I feel like Laura O'Sullivan might not want to watch those back. Um, and I feel a bit harsh for kind of pointing fingers because she was so good throughout the whole campaign. Um, you know, the penalty save in Bosnia, obviously her performance in general against England the first time round. But there was a point during the game where I thought, I feel like she's just, I feel like worried basically every time the ball was going to a sheet. Um, you know, kind of spilled a couple, came mm-hmm. for crosses that didn't get there a couple of times. And whilst the second one, you know, great looping header that is not far off being in yeah. the top corner, I felt because she's come for the cross, you know, made a bit of a a bit of a mess of it. She's not quite set herself when she's where she wants to be by the time the second ball comes back. And I felt like she's a bit out of you know, out of position. I felt like her it was more of a I don't know, a bit of a scramble again, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, for her. And, you know, the third one, unfortunately, has just kind of bounced off her legs as she's gone to collect it and it's been turned in. So I, d- I don't think from that perspective, though, either of those two players kind of would have made a difference in that. No, in I just way. wonder whether, just from a kind of um, calmness at the back, 
predictability, people knowing exactly what their role was, exactly what their positioning was on those set pieces, maybe that might have had an yeah, effect. No, I see what you're saying. I think I think that is ultimately the biggest disappointment. I'm not pointing fingers at Laura Sullivan. By no means was it her fault we lost, not even close. Um, but I do think Jane Ludlow will probably be very disappointed just in the manner of the goals they came from crosses, set pieces. I think that that will probably... <laughs> Well, she, she sort of said as much in the... Yeah. It was a very short post-match interview that we got to see, but she basically, she, she basically expressed that, didn't she? That mistakes had been made and we're going to learn and we're going to push forward. Yeah. And I think it's that going to learn part is the important bit. No, isn't I it? agree. I, I agree. mean, this is the first time we've come close to qualifying. So it's going to have been a huge learning experience for everybody, yeah, from agree. Jane Ludlow down. Um, and so... Next time round, you know, we're hopefully going to be slightly better seeded, you know, in a better place going forward into the into the Euros. And, and the number of spots in in the World Cup makes it really hard for European teams yeah. to make it. You look at the what are, you know the probable four qualifiers for the playoffs; they're all good teams, um, and, and and so this is this is especially difficult to get through in the in the World Cup. No, I totally. I mean, it has been a brilliant campaign and you could see what it meant to the players obviously Tash Harding coming off in tears that was tough to watch mm-hmm. but also you know the work rate of people like Jess Fishlock and Kaylee Green who were phenomenal I thought Kaylee Green was absolutely unreal like yeah. the amount of ground she covered and what she did and everything else I thought you know it wasn't a penalty by the way <laughs> for her but I thought she was unlucky not to get it mm-hmm. just purely because on first viewing of that it looked like an absolute stonewaller so that was a shame, even yeah. though we didn't deserve it. But yeah, I thought those two in particular for us were phenomenal, and, and Jess showed to be showed herself to be one of the best players in the world, certainly. Um, and that little run she had at the mm-hmm. end, you know, really shows what she's capable of. And I thought she was magnificent. I mean, they were all brilliant, especially over the course of the campaign. But I thought those two in particular on on the night yeah. were, were wonderful, were, were great. Um, I think you you touched on it a little bit there the congratulations on the campaign as a whole I think that does deserve to be given I think it has been just an unbelievable journey for everyone involved what do you take away from it? I think it's, it's like we were saying earlier just the the fact now that when people see Welsh football or FAW you don't immediately go default we're talking about the men and it might not be everybody. It's you know, it might, it's only a small, you know, perhaps a smaller percentage of us clearly. But I think the fact that you you can see a, a framework and those girls that were ten, eleven, twelve sitting in in that crowd, you know, Seren, for example, yeah. she's a goalkeeper. You know, ten years time, they get they're still going to be playing football, whether yeah. they're playing in their local park or they're playing international level. That that sort of framework they can see a path they can see that this is something that's going to be valued and enjoyed and if even it's just recreationally I think we're now at a point where girls can play football yeah you know and I'm from a generation where closest I got to playing football was kicking the ball around in the backyard with my dad that was it and so I think to see you know daughters and granddaughters being able to access access this is really important no I totally agree I think whether we qualify or not, playoffs or you know, we're going to talk about that shit show in a minute. But 
I think the positive impact this group have had on women's football and just football in general in, in, in Wales is can't be understated really and Sarah's a perfect example um, of you know the transformation in what she has seen even in the nine months or so that she's kind of taken part in it is, is, it's been brilliant so um, I think they should be really proud of that I certainly am proud of them I'm sure it's the same for you as well I think that moving forward there are lots of opportunities now for, for, for the FAW to kind of capitalise on this and yeah. this can't be a one-off it can't be a kind of wasted opportunity if that's, if that's the right expression but overall we do have to congratulate them and, and say well done on what has been an amazing campaign and they should be proud and a lot of the players say you know tweeted afterwards I'm sorry we couldn't do it for the fans and like no one has anything to be sorry for like quite the opposite um, I think the point you made about the seeding mm-hmm. uh, and us rising up to 29th I think now yeah. in the world rankings is a big plus for us and will hopefully help us in that draw for the Euros. The big thing I want to say on, on all of this is I hope, I really hope that the, the attendances stay and the mm-hmm. battle for tickets for stays and you know, and I know it's, we can't expect the 5,000 or whatever it was every, every, every game, but I do hope that there's a, you know, the momentum continues and people stick with this. And I think as part of that, we do need certain players to kind of mm-hmm. hang around um, Jess kind of hinted on it when we spoke to her about this might be the last throw of the dice for her is there anyone else you think I think Helen Ward might be yeah she's she's got every right to be a mum first right yeah. now um, but I'm hope, like you say, I'm hoping they'll stay around a little longer. Yeah. There's there's some interesting youngsters in that squad, and I think the mentorship that the likes of Ingle and Tash Harding, Jess and, and Helen Ward can bring to them is important no, as well. I agree. Um, Jane Ludlow's brilliant for that, clearly too. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be important to perhaps try and transition a little bit rather than have a sudden situation where we lose. Yeah three or four of them right now I think would be that would be quite hard actually I, I think No I totally agree I mean I've, I've got the, the squad that was called up here mm-hmm. I mean looking through it we've got a real mix of people who are late 20s early 30s mm-hmm. and teenagers Yeah. <laughs> like our third choice goalkeeper on the bench the other night was 16 mm-hmm. um, and going through the squad yeah we've got people like Lauren Dykes um, who's 30 but we also had Alice Griffiths who's 17 um, Elise Hughes who's 17 uh, Fionn Morgan is 18 Peyton Vincese I don't know yeah, that's, the, that's the lassies over here isn't she yeah she's yeah. in America yeah. um, she's 17 and again people who've recently been called up um, a selection of defenders who are all teenagers uh, four of them in fact who are teenagers you know a young young squad here with definite potential, you think Charlie Escott, you know, she was brilliant against England the first time around, she's only 20. Mm-hmm. There is definite, you know, scope for this squad to grow, and yeah. I do think that it needs those older players to come around and be a part of that as well. You know, you know you're right, Helen Ward absolutely is entitled to be a mum first, and Jess Fishlock talked about that as well, and that's something that is on her radar. Again, you know, no one has done them, you know, more for Welsh football for women, I don't think, than. than than those two but I would love to see them hang around for one more campaign 
I think they I think one more kind of throw of the dice just because we're, we are so close yeah um, all of that said we are sat here talking about this as if the dream is over <laughs> that's true as we sit there here there are some permutations aren't there there are we sit here on Monday the 3rd of September mm-hmm. this is hopefully going to go out tomorrow um it's not quite over yet. It's not quite. We needed three things to happen, mm-hmm. and one of them has. Iceland lost to Germany 2-0 the other night. We also need Iceland to lose to the Czech Republic, which is less likely, if I'm honest, and Belgium to lose to Italy, which is probable, yeah. um, given Italy's record in this campaign. They've, I think they've only conceded one mm-hmm. goal. They've, they've won every match they've played. So I think... I'm confident enough of that one. It's the Iceland-Czech Republic game. If all of those happen, we do go into the hat for the playoffs. So maybe by the time this has actually gone out, that'll have been decided. Um, But hopefully... Yeah, hopefully what we've just been saying is completely irrelevant. nonsense. We get to the World (laughs) Cup anyway. Um, I think the playoff situation is just a weird one. I am so angry. I can't believe... So, historically, this idea of dropping points from the last team it stems from the fact that in the last qualification for the men there were uneven groups yeah so something had, had to be done the irony is by the time we started playing those games Kosovo and Kosovo and Gibraltar were on board anyway so all of those teams were even in in numbers so it was somewhat irrelevant anyway the women's groups are clearly all even in number yeah. where I think there is an argument for some version of what UEFA have done is the is the goal difference. For example, in in Iceland's group, they've got the Faroes, and I I, I couldn't quote it, but the, the Faroes' goal difference is something like minus twenty five. Yeah. Iceland have plus thirteen. Just from the Faroes. Just from the Faroes. Yeah. So effectively, if you're in a group like that, you've you've all but got an extra one point, haven't you? Because your goal difference yeah. is so is so crazy. Um, and there's there's one more group. I think the Moldovan group is like that as well. And then most of the other five, the bottom club have got like minus 13, minus 14, minus 15. There's a bit more parity yeah. there in their goal difference. So I can see an argument for what UEFA are trying to do if you were examining goal difference. But the fact that the Danes could finish on less points than us, they could finish on 16. If they lose to Sweden tomorrow, they could finish on 16. Is it tomorrow? Um, they could finish on 16, they'll go less four and be on 12, and hence be ahead of us in this second system, place yeah. system thing. That's just wrong. I just The thing I don't understand, and I, I had a message off a player, I don't want to say who because mm. I don't want to um, you know, you know, go into what they were thinking about before the game or whatever, but she said, how could it possibly be fair? Yeah that they draw against the worst side in their group yeah. and we draw against who were the second best side in our group yeah. in Russia they have fewer points than us yet a lot more, much more likely to get into yeah. the playoffs than us yeah. it's a ludicrous situation and I would just love to know a full explanation because if it is just a goal difference you just wipe everyone's goal difference yeah. from that and the points still count like, because of the groups are all the same amount of teams in it I don't understand it's, it's, it's is unnecessary, isn't Completely it? Completely unnecessary. If they were going to do it, like I said, if they were going to do it, I could see some sort of argument for the goal difference issue. Yeah. 
Well, it doesn't make sense from a points issue. No. You're either in the competition or you're not. You just you play in the games or you're not. Yeah. The games count or they don't. You know, it's just otherwise why are we letting yeah. these teams in? Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. it, it, you know if you want to look at it from that perspective, yeah. which I think I don't know. I feel like it is a little bit like uh, sour grapes to an extent, but it is a very very frustrating. I mean, I feel like mm. if we'd have benefited, we wouldn't be bemoaning the situation. So, um, I guess we can't can't say too much, but. I would love a proper explanation of, mm. of what this is all about because it is crazy to me. Yeah. And, for, you know, from as I say, from the exchange we had with one of the players the other night, they obviously feel the same way too. And I don't know, I, I just feel like it, it is a big shame that here we are, we're going to end up with more points than them. Well, we might Well, do. potentially. Yeah. Uh, yet we're in this mm. crazy situation. So, anyway... I'm sure there's more maths that could be done and right. <laughs> scenarios, but ultimately, <laughs> to, to conclude, we are just praying that the Czechs win and we're praying that the Italians win. So if you have either of those two shirts <laughs> on Tuesday, I would suggest cutting them in half, sewing them together to make one uh, united Czech belt, Czech-Italian shirt. Uh, any, it, failing that, I would suggest drinking... Uh, Czech and Italian beers on Tuesday. That is what I'm going to do. Um, can I can I just have sure. a quick shout out to the tiny Welsh media video guys? Oh, absolutely. Because if they make any more of those videos, I'm just I'm just going to stop watching because I can't stop crying yeah. when I watch them. But those are amazing. They are. I agree. And it's very hot here at the minute. I'm bordering on dangerous dehydration most of the time. Uh, I can't afford to lose the extra <laughs> liquid from my body. But uh, no, I agree. They are fantastic. Um, one quick point which I want to uh, bring up which is a question from Matt Leary who's contacted us on Twitter for anyone who every time we do do a podcast want to contact us on Twitter please do at Coleman's Dream or is it underscore Dream? Coleman's underscore Dream Coleman's underscore Dream find us one of the using <laughs> one of those two um, uh, and please send us a message if you want us to talk about uh, anything on the podcast uh, Matt has contacted us saying do you think there's an argument that the the boost that Welsh football uh, has given to the women's game has happened not just on a Welsh level but also on a British level on the basis that um, or they are at least partly responsible on the basis that Scotland are doing very very well um, they beat a very strong Swiss side 2-1 the other night obviously England are doing well and we're starting to do well as well do you think that part of this whole campaign has had a positive influence on women's football nationwide it's interesting isn't it because Jess brought up um, playing you know her time in Bristol and in our in in the interview with her the sort of positives and negatives of that and it does seem like the league has sort of evolved to the point where there's clearly some good quality football going on there now Um, and I think we are we're reaping the benefits of that and I'm sure there are Scottish players doing the same I think the fact that they're probably in the playoffs you know we've come close um, and England have had to fight a little bit as well and that's probably better for them too absolutely uh, so overall I think we could you can look at that as an example of, of how the women's league has presumably is having an impact yeah. you look at the teams that some of our players are now playing for um, but equally I think there's still a gulf between what's typically women's football over here for example versus some of the European sides some of the French sides in particular play some lovely football yeah. um, 
but you look at the the quality you know like we're obviously following Jess as best we can with, with her games in Seattle and the, and just the quality of what's been played week in week out is it's still a step above there's no doubt about it no I totally agree and I think a lot of it you talked about you know the players playing for big clubs I think the fact that a lot of big clubs have now got into women's football you know Man United I think this is their first season the fact that those teams are involved in in this whole thing is yeah. is fantastic and again shows how women's football is growing I mean the biggest thing I guess is there is still a massive gulf and the gap is definitely closing but I think when you watch the match the other night there is that big step up in class which you can see and, and that comes from the fact that the English FA for example have got a huge amount of money which they are brilliantly putting into the women's game but um, then obviously their national team is benefiting you know we haven't got the same amount of money and the same facilities and everything else as them so that is definitely having having an impact but as you say the gap is, is narrowing and and hopefully we'll have more and more players across the country playing professional football not just us but Scotland, Ireland as well um, so thank you for the question Matt I also want to just have a little thank you to Ian Hamer for inviting us to be on BBC Radio Wales the other morning we did get up at about 1 o'clock in the morning here to, to do that but very grateful to be invited and Hopefully, we sort of sounded like what we, we know what we were doing. Given it was one thirty in the morning, I think yeah. we did all right. I was quite proud of that. <laughs> um, to move on from the women, um, hopefully we'll be able to do an additional thing to this, by the way, where we can say, well done for making the playoff. <laughs> um, I would also like to ask as well, for anyone uh, who wants to, again, contact us on Twitter, if you enjoyed our little video things. I mean, the one after the game has, has had a lot of watches, which is great. So maybe it's something we could do more regularly when we watch games just a little two minute video afterwards um, if people are interested in seeing seeing what we actually look like um, especially when, maybe not especially, especially when drunk um, which is what's going to happen on Sunday so moving on uh, to the men mm -hmm. we have two games coming up this week Ireland and Denmark pretty much a full squad to choose from um, We'll start by talking about the Ireland game. Okay. They have got a bit of a mixed squad, I would say. I, I don't know if you've seen it. The There's a couple of, of absentees for them which will make a difference. Uh, James McCarthy being one and Robbie Brady being the other. And Harry Arter. Oh, and Harry yeah. Arter, yeah, that's true, actually. He he pulled out or was kicked out. Kicked out, yes. Uh, today. So they, they they have got a bit of a mix, and, and looking through their squad, you know, they have got some good players, you know, not much in goal, if I'm being perfectly honest. But Seamus Coleman, uh, Kieran Clark is playing obviously for Newcastle in the Premier League. Um, Stephen Ward is playing for Burnley. There are some, you know, people playing at the top level. Equally up front. Um, They've got a couple of names there that we're aware of, like Jonathan Walters and Shane Long. Mm -hmm. But I've got to say, looking at their midfield, it is very, very weak. That's where you feel we must have an advantage, our midfield versus theirs. So exactly. Def we're, we're definitely strong. I mean, immensely stronger there. And I think that is, you know, to, to bring this back to us, is something I think we've got to kind of focus on in the game. Um We'll go into a full preferred lineup in a minute, but um, looking at the kind of mismatch, if you like, in the midfield, mm -hmm. who do you think 
will play in that midfield, especially in the in the attacking quarters. Oh, I, mm, I it's hard, it, sort of an abstract sense. I think I would put Joe Allen and Ampadu in a kind of holding-ish midfield. Then I'm really pulled as to whether I'm playing four at the back or five at the back, and obviously that then impacts what's happening at the front yeah. just from a numbers point of view. So. If I play, if I had five at the back in my head, I kind of pulled Dummer in as the third centre back, yeah. and have Ben Davies. Well, don't get. We'll come back we'll to come that. Come back to Dummer. Yeah, right. and then have Ben Davies more in what we might think of as the Neil Taylor role, a bit wider on the on the left wing, and then from there you're at a point where you add Ramsey and Bale. And you've probably you've only got one more, and yeah. then it, then it's who are you perming from Brooks or Wilson? I'd probably go Brooks at the minute, but I think that's Lawrence. a little bit of a, Lawrence maybe. I think that's a little bit of toss up there. Lawrence might be a little bit more offensive, sort of up front, might he? So he might. But you look at how Madrid are paying Bale now, and you know maybe maybe he's our most forward player. I mean, forward. I, personally, I think I would prefer to see him there mm-hmm. in that kind of almost lone striker role for us. I think that's where we'd be most damaging. However, I think in the Ireland game, I would put him in midfield mm-hmm. because they're going to be very robust at the back. And I basically don't want our Gareth getting kicked by some Irish lumpers. So I think, you know, to, to kind of exploit their questionable midfield I think I personally would put Bale a little bit deeper mm-hmm. in this and put Vokes up front and look I would still have Allen in there but I think I'd be a, maybe a bit more balanced I'd prefer to play four at the back Okay. but just to concentrate on the midfield for yeah. now I think I would probably have Allen Ramsey and then you, know you choose either mm-hmm. side then Lawrence or Wilson or Woodburn um, have one of them on either side and then bail in behind, mm-hmm. um, behind folks. Uh, behind folks. I just think that in for this team, I think would be better. All our creative players, our best players, mm-hmm. up against a, a fairly thin-looking Irish side. Yeah. So, I think in that instance, that's where I prefer Bale because um, I think that's where he'll be able to do more damage against Ireland. So, I hope that's what happens. So, if you were going four at the back, what's your four? Um, you can see the smile on my face, so you know where this is going. I know Paul Dummett's got his detractors and everything else, but he's a bloody good footballer. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not in a position where we can be turning people away because they might have messed us about a bit. We've got to be realistic here. I would much, much rather us qualify uh, with Paul Dummett because he's a good footballer than bin him off and mm-hmm. say, yeah. you've not been that last. I think we, we're not in that position, unfortunately. Um, where we've got a huge deep squad where we can kind of have you know pick and choose, and we do have options at the back. You know we do have a bit of depth. However, um, I think he should play. And to come on to a wider conversation, which I'm sure we'll have in a minute, I would drop Ash as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's what will happen, but that's what I would do. Were I in Ryan Giggs' shoes, I would play obviously Hennessy in goal. And there's another argument we'll have in a minute on the right back spot. Uh, I would play Dummett and Chester at centre-halves and I'd play Ben Davis at left-back. Mm-hmm. I think that's where he's best. And, and Dummett 
predominantly does play left back but has played centre back for us in the past and I think did very well there and I think he's actually a natural centre half mm-hmm. um, and then I would obviously go for the the four one one ahead of that not the 12 I picked when responding to this question <laughs> on Twitter uh, uh, this week we, we might have a slight advantage yeah if we do I was going to say um, right yes. back so right back I, I would definitely stick with Gunter I, I know he's you know assuming he's fully fit mm. from injury I think look is one particularly better than the other I don't know is one maybe in a bit better form than the other uh, probably mm. but someone has to come in and do something to rip that jersey from, from, from Chris Gunter's back I just I don't think Roberts is that much better that we say okay we're done because at the end of the day Chris Gunter has been a phenomenal servant to Welsh football and you know we'll, we'll come on to Hal later but if anyone's going to get a statue built it's either him or Gareth Bale as far <laughs> as I'm concerned um, he hasn't missed a game for, for forever, forever. Yeah. Um, and I think if someone wants to take that shirt off him they've got to really do something spectacular to earn it and as good as Conor Roberts has been at the start of this year I, I don't think he's I'm, there I'm with you as long as, as long as everyone's happy he's fit um, and even if he plays 60 minutes and then Connor Roberts comes on but I can see him starting um, I'm still in a quandary about four at the back or or five at the back um, I, w- I wouldn't play Ash I'd, I'd go with Meppham or Chester in the middle if you're going five do you think he will play though? I don't know you see there's the reason I'm not sure, in a roundabout way, is Giggs's comments about the crowd and the fact, his statement about were people staying away because he was in charge and not everybody would be getting behind him. I think that's genuinely a red herring. We might come back to it. But I wonder if he is sensitive to dropping ash from a PR point of view right. because he's sensitive to the crowd from a PR point of view. Right, okay. I think mistakenly. Um, so I wonder whether... But if you were ever going to drop him, now is the time to do it. I think you've got a perfect excuse to drop yeah. him if, yeah. if you needed one, you know. Yeah. Obviously, I think I read that he's got sent off in two of his last four That's it. I mean, he's, he's, you think about how he played last time we played Ireland. There's a little bit of hot-headedness going on at the minute those that number of red cards recently admittedly in league games not in international games um and he hasn't if if you look at the the depth we've got as center back he's probably not in the top three is he certainly not in the top two um so i think and it might be a case that you you don't play him thursday against ireland but you do against denmark and we'll come back to the the wider what the hell's going on with denmark (laughs) later i'm sure but this might be an opportunity to play him in one game and not both. I, mean, I, I agree. I, personally, I wouldn't play him in either. I, I feel like he's a good squad player. And we had this conversation maybe six, nine months ago, whether he's on the, on the decline. And I said then, he is, I, in my opinion. And I, I've not seen anything to change no. that. Stoke have been hemorrhaging goals, which is not all his fault. I appreciate that. But um, at the end of the day, he is their centre-half. I don't think he's good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
I've mentioned Joe Ledley before. I think he's finished as an international footballer. I think Ashley Williams has finished as an international footballer as well, which is harsh, mm-hmm. but I, I think, unfortunately, true. Um, yeah, I, I think going back to the four or five at the back, my issue with it is, I feel like if we go five at the back, we're not playing to our strengths anymore. I felt like we played five at the back before because our options in front of the defence mm-hmm. were uh, thinner. And I think now we're in a very positive position where we've got... Obviously, Allen is a given, yeah. but you've got Ramsey, Lawrence, Wilson, Woodburn, Brooks, Bale can play in midfield, possibility of Ampadu being mm-hmm. in there. We've got seven people fighting for, in reality, three places. I, why are we missing yeah. some or one of or a yeah. few of them I mean out. this is my feel I've, I've been arguing for four at the back for a while haven't I for this reason yeah. I just think we the only advantage I can see right now is if we put Drummond inside is then we you can use Ben Davis all but as a, a sort left of wing. left wing like an old fashioned left wing really as opposed to a, a left wing back um, but you're but you're right I feel like we should just go with the four and, and play to the strength which which is in that kind of attacking midfield role isn't it where we've yeah. got plenty of strength at the minute to the point where the the striker position is actually sort of almost like do we want a striker in, in the sort in of the conventional sense, sense? Um, or are we better off having almost like a three three at the front that are notionally more sort of attacking midfielders yeah. really in terms of where where their home is a nice dilemma. It's, it's that's a good, the, that's, great to have. That's the best thing I think about the squad is not only the number of players that missed out. I mean, there's a there's a good, I don't know, eight nine players that in any other years would have been in that squad. Yeah. I mean, some of them I think have every right to be disappointed. Rodden, um, Bradshaw. I think I think Neil Taylor could ask questions as well. Um, Guion Edwards, I think, has been playing particularly yeah. well at Ipswich. I'd yeah. like to see him coming in. And then there's more peripheral players like, you know, Marley Watkins and, and, and George Thomas and people like that. But I think it's great that we're, you're actually having to think about what yeah. your 23 is and think about what your 11 is. You know, I, I mean, I can remember times when you'd, you'd look at the squad and you'd cheer that there was one Premiership player yeah. in the squad, you know. Um, and we're in very different place now and I, th- I, I think the fact that it's it's causing discussion and causing dilemma and making gigs think that's great but I'm still worried about is where we're scoring goals from where's that coming from yeah I mean ultimately we are still lacking that mm-hmm. you know a goal scoring number nine that we have often had in the past people like Hughes and Rush and, and whatever but as you say you know we we go through years where Andrew Crofts plays every you know gets in every squad and um, bloody Freddie Eastwood was knocking about for a bit and you think about it in those in that context and you're delighted we've kind of got the problem in inverted commas that we have. Um, returning briefly to Ash and perhaps Gunter, mm-hmm. given I know your love of him, would you assuming Ash drops out, does that mean Gunter would be your captain for the foreseeable? Oh no, probably not actually, because I think I think you're making a, almost like 
opening another can of worms, ironically, given his role is under pressure. Not that I don't think he couldn't be excellent, but I, I think just from a, a sort of stability point of view, I think it's much more likely to go to someone that Giggs can think, well, he's always going to be on the team sheet. Just it's one less issue. So who would you give it to, or who do you think it would go to? Because I think it would probably go to Gunter if I asked to some play, but just for these games. But who just would you give games. it to? In a just for these games, context? maybe Gunter, actually, just for these games. But then if you if you know you're probably going to be subbing him at 60 minutes, perhaps That's not. Possibly Ramsey. I would look maybe at Davies as well as someone that's going to be there for another eight, ten years. I would go to Alan. I would love it to be Joe Allen. I think in terms of captaincy material, he's brilliant. I would go between the three. Yeah. I was actually having a discussion with a, a colleague of ours and uh, he was asking about whether I felt Bale should be captain. And I said no. And the, and the reason I said no was I think he is so good with the media stuff that you can just he, he can you can just roll him out and he'll do it and he's a perfect wingman to whoever your captain is. He'll he'll take all the weird questions. He'll you know he'll he is great on that sort of flippant stuff that you need, um, and it allows it allows whoever the captain is to kind of have a little bit of breathing space. Um, so I think he's brilliant as our sort of lead PR man without having the captaincy yeah. duties. I agree with you. I think another thing with that is I think there's a psychological element as well is he is our star man. He knows it, we know it, everyone knows it. But I feel like having someone else as the captain makes him a bit more one of the gang yeah. rather than stand him out even yeah. more. And he is that's one of his strengths is he's part of the gang, yeah. isn't it? I think yeah. and I think that's I think that's really important. Yeah. Um Speaking of things that are important, a tedious link to Andy King. We sorry, we've very gone off the fact that we're playing Ireland here, but we'll come back to them. <laughs> we hate Ireland. Um, we'll come back to them. Um, Andy King, I saw today, has been dropped from the Leicester City 25-man Premier League squad entirely. So that means for the rest of this year, which is pretty much a full season of football, barring big injury problems, he's going to be playing under-23s football, if that mm -hmm. even, for the rest of the season. So... You know, this has come about around the same time as the the squad announcement. So he's obviously a you know a squad player for us, but that's a it's a bit of a loss, really. Yeah, it's it's harsh, isn't it? I mean, presumably there's loan options and things come January, much like he did with Swansea yeah. last year. Um, but yeah, it does. It I think the timing on the transfer window and the loan window and it's it's scuppered a few players in his position yeah. isn't it where you know a few like few games into the season they may have had some some options but because everything just all but shut down yeah um i mean it does make you wonder whether going forward he'll make he'll make squads Give, I, given yeah. our strength in midfield you feel kind of probably not unfortunately yeah. um but you there needs to be a better a better scenario for people in that that position. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think from a Wales perspective, he's often been our kind of go-to man mm -hmm. in the absence of Ramsey. Well, he can't be that if he's not no. if he's not playing. So, I really hope he gets something sorted because he is a good squad mm -hmm. player. You know, he's someone else I've been kind of critical of in the past. I'm not sure he's still an international footballer, but I think he is just about still. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he's important 
to the whole to the whole setup. So I think he he should be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, to conclude on Ireland before we move on to Denmark and that whole <laughs> shit show. Um, first off, so are we saying you'd prefer four at the back, but you think it'll be five? Yes. And roughly speaking, we've pretty much gone for the same team in I think so I think I think the, the, the question is Brooks probably Brooks and Wilson are probably the question uh, yeah I mean so I think what we'll probably see is and stop me if I'm uh, wrong probably will be Hennessy and Goal mm-hmm. I would think we're going to see Chester Ash and Dummett as a back three with Davis on one side Gunter on the mm-hmm. other. I would agree with you, assuming we're going five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he will go five because that's what he has yeah. done. Um, then it becomes a bit more interesting because I'm not sure whether he'll start Ampadu, but I think he probably won't. I think he'll start with Allen, mm-hmm. Ramsey, and and then it's just a bit of a mishmash then between who else is going to play in those kind of wide areas. But I think probably. Bale, Vokes, and I would say Lawrence. You see, I would I would probably go Wilson, Brooks, and Bale, and not have Vokes. Yeah, I think also that Ledley's got a chance to start in mm-hmm. in, in, that, in that holding in that holding role with with Allen as well. I don't know. I think maybe Amper do on the basis that Giggs doesn't seem to, seem to have been shy of throwing the youngsters in. Some sirens. <laughs> Just for us. It's not a podcast without something <laughs> burning down somewhere. Um, no, I, I agree. Um, what do you think the score will be? 2 0 to us. I was going to say 2 0 to us. That means that's definitely not going to happen. I still have no idea where those two goals are coming from. I think that our creativity <laughs> in midfield will. Overpower them in yeah. the end, and I think, you know, I've watched Kieran Clark play for Newcastle. He's probably going to start. I've watched him play for Newcastle this year. He's having one. Um, so I think, I think we are the better side, mm-hmm. and I think we will make it count this time. And I think there might even be a little bit of seeking revenge in there, especially with someone like Joe Allen mm-hmm. and Bale who missed the game as well. Um, before we do match, move on to Denmark. I just want to bring up the Giggs comment. He made a, quite a bizarre comment, I yeah. thought, about. The, the game not selling out and he thinks it's in part due to him not being fancied by a few of the red wall I thought it was quite an odd comment to make. he's obviously very sensitive towards yeah. what other people think which is sort of not what I want from him but also I thought it was quite an arrogant comment as well I mean use a bit of common sense mate it's a Thursday night yeah. it's not like we're playing Brazil we're playing Ireland a lot of people see this as not a meaningful game um, a lot of people will be travelling to Denmark couple of days later there's a lot of factors which point to that not selling out yeah it was like I was saying earlier when we were talking about the captaincy I'm a little bit concerned that he seems to be concerned about the PR side of things yeah Um, maybe there is a tiny portion of people that are are boycotting because of him but I feel that's a tiny 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 portion I think you're right it's much more to do with the fact that the North Walians are Friday evening they're getting on a plane and they're going to Copenhagen they're not coming down yeah. to Cardiff for the Thursday game frankly they've had enough of Ireland I'm in, I'm in no great rush to watch us play Ireland again yeah. frankly 
Um, so I think we're missing out on a lot of what would be the North Wales support. I think they just head to Liverpool and Manchester and having a, yeah. a long weekend in Copenhagen if they're going anywhere. Um, the it it is concerning still to my mind it's concerning that we can't sell that out particularly when you look at that we're going to the Millennium Stadium for the Spain game admittedly perhaps Spain are more than a draw more of a draw than the Republic of Ireland are but equally you got a lot more seats to fill Um, so that makes me question the viability of that and and perhaps what we need is for that to flop and perhaps (laughs) this whole debate will be off the table so you know maybe that's not a bad thing in and of itself um, but yeah, I agree with you. I was concerned that he was concerned because yeah. it doesn't seem to be what you should be worrying about right now. Well, yeah, no, I agree. I, th- and I think the regard uh, you mentioned, uh, you are a bit worried about the selling out. I, I think Welsh football has always had a fairly fickle fan base. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Euros was a big success. We then miss out on the qualifiers in a group that we, you know, to all intents and purposes, should have mm-hmm. gone out of. Um, and I think it's natural that now that there's a bit of a regression in, in people who want to go which is a shame but I think Welsh football has always had that yeah. peaks and troughs you know we were selling 72,000 against Azerbaijan and by the end of that campaign we weren't even close to selling out the Millennium Stadium when we played I think it was um, Serbia and Montenegro was our last match anyway completely off the point but again you know looking forward to that Spain game as well I, th- I initially optimistically said was sell 50,000 tickets because just is Spain and I think a lot of people who are just football mm-hmm. fans would go to that because it is so cheap but maybe we won't even get get that for that but the point on gigs I think is yeah it worries me that he wor- he's worrying about yeah. it yeah um, to move on to the Denmark game this, speaking of bizarre situations <laughs> and bizarre, bizarre things happening this is bonkers it is bonkers so for anyone who's not in the know um the Danes have had an ongoing dispute with the Danish FA on conditions and payments for things, and a lot of it seems to be about like image rights and stuff like that, what they use their faces for. So yeah. as a consequence, the players are saying, unless we sign a new agreement, we're not playing. This is a particularly relevant because it happened earlier in the year with the women yeah, the, Sweden. The, the women were in a slightly different position. It sounds like it was a more general contractual thing, but obviously contractual still. And they didn't field a, a team for their, for their first qualification game against Sweden. And UEFA decided, okay, we'll, we'll call it a 3-0 win to Sweden. So Sweden got the three points. Obviously, they gained three goals. Denmark were penalised three goals. And then there was a small fine... But there was no actual points penalty against the Danish women in that qualification. And we've already been talking about how kind of tenuous their their spot in, in that second place um, playoff is. You know, they can potentially end up with less yeah. points than us. And to my mind, it seems really weird that you have a, an FA that doesn't even put out a team and there isn't some sort of penalty yeah. for that. But as part of that process... Can I say they were fined? Yeah, but I... 19,000, I, I want to say euros. Probably euros, sure. yeah. So, so as part of that process, UEFA basically waved their finger and said, anything like this again, we will start looking at whether you can, you can participate in qualifications and tournaments. 
So obviously now the Danes are going to put out somebody, anybody on Sunday. It would actually be in our interest if they didn't because it might help the women if they didn't put out a team on Sunday. But they're going to put out the local high school team if they need to because they have to put out yeah. a team on Sunday. Um, the, I can understand the complications with the image rights because a lot of those players have um, have contracts with through their clubs you know, with other kit suppliers and that sort of thing, aside from what the Danish FA has. And it does get in this kind of complicated grey area. So I can understand the players asking questions about it. But equally, this has been rumbling on for months and months and months, and it's it's obviously not got sorted. It sounds like the manager's just up and gone on holiday because he's had I mean, enough he's of it. On, I can believe it. <laughs> what is this? Like bonkers that he's gone on holiday. Um... I look at this in a slightly different way. I think you spoiled bastards. You know, I'm not saying, you know, they des- they don't deserve anything. But representing your country is a massive honour. Mm-hmm. And to, to kind of be hamstringing, you think of that from from their perspective, they're haggling over a few quid, which they probably don't need. I'm not could sure. have a knock-on impact on their female counterparts mm-hmm. not playing in a World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not for. sure they're necessarily hang- haggling about the money. I think there's... What I read, it sounded like there was something in the contract that was genuinely going to cause problems because they have existing contracts through their clubs. I mean, I'll, I'll read you the statement that, or part of the statement mm-hmm. I've translated from the from the Danish FA. Uh, the international matches against Slovakia on Wednesday and the Nations League match against Wales on Sunday will be played. So is the clear announcement from Klaus Breton Meyer, who is the head of the Danish FA. It is a deeply regrettable situation we're in, both for the team, fans and for all in Danish football. We had hoped that the players would meet when we what we offered them for the same fees, bonuses, paid insurance, better flights, cooks and treatment conditions. We are now working uh, to get the best possible players to play the two matches for Denmark. It's crucial for the future of Danish football. If the games are not played, we might be fighting millions of fines and exclusions for both national teams, and the Danish football will be returned to the Stone Age in many areas, which I thought was a brilliant thing. (laughs) Um, They've held lots of meetings. The agreement expired on the 31st of July, after which the board of directors extended the mandate until the 15th of August and then on to Friday the 31st of August. The deadline, parties hadn't uh, agreed before the deadline, the board of directors decided to suspend negotiations on Saturday and ask management to ensure that the two national matches are being played. I, you see, if you read that, it sounds like it's a kind of paying conditions argument, doesn't it? If you read the players' argument, they make it sound more like a there's legal questions here about image rights that we can't get answers to. We have existing contracts through our teams. We've got to be careful. So I think one of the root causes might be that they're just so differently on so, so on different pages in terms of what the actual issue is, and so it's not progressing because they can't even they're not clearly yeah. they're not even on the same page about what they're actually arguing about at the I minute, th- are they? Yeah, I mean you're right with that. I guess that that is a part of it, but still to not play for your country. I don't disagree. I don't at, disagree, at the, Dave. At the expense of other people. Yeah. I think is really. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. I think that they. they they're coming at it from an entitled point of view yeah. um, and if if the if what they're arguing about is what you're saying in that statement like what food they're having and whether they're flying business class or not yeah. that is That's genuinely ridiculous. completely ridiculous yeah. but equally it does sound like the players have got a slightly different agenda yeah. 
And whether it's them pushing an agenda that isn't actually relevant at the minute, I don't know. Uh, but I agree, it's a mess. And you what, shouldn't uh, yeah. be in the position where you're, what, three days away from an international game and you, you don't know and you're what's your going on. Uh, yeah, I think it's but equally, I don't think the manager should be going on holiday either. No, and, <laughs> I, and I don't understand why he's... I don't see from anything I've read that he's at a a part of this other than the fact he just seems pissed off by all which I think is perfectly acceptable to be fair to him um, but still I'm not sure I'd be going on holiday it, it really really is a mess mm-hmm. of a situation and I think uh, as a consequence for us we are in a positive position going up against a team who looked like a good side in the World mm-hmm. Cup to play in you know the Danish under 12s which is <laughs> which is a possibility Oh, welcome edition. Um, so, I think I, I just think it's a very, very bizarre situation. Um, there was a wonderful tweet that I think a lot of us have started following Danish football news. Yeah, he's one of the few people that seems to be tweeting in Danish and English to help the, help the rest of us out. Um, and he, this great eleven lineup that include you know included I don't know Niels Bohr and Bridget Nielsen, all sorts of people as the as the starting eleven. Um, Absolutely, in I the think. two games, that just that just cracked me up. It was brilliant. Yeah, Niels Bohr is playing in goal, and uh, he's captain, which is he is. <laughs> um, the two uh, defenders are the Little Mermaid and a cashier from Netto. The Lego Brick guy is in the holding role. Hans Christian Andersen and Lars Ulrich are playing in midfield. Uh, Christian Eriksen does make the squad, <laughs> and he's playing behind Helena Christensen and Bridget Nielsen, uh, who are the attacking players. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I enjoyed that. So from a Wales perspective then, do you think we should just go for it? You know, boost our goal difference, stick as many past as we can, uh, and, you know, make the most of the fact that we're playing what would probably be the hardest group game that any of us have to face? Yeah, I mean, I think we, from a planning point of view, we have to assume that the game is going to be against the first 11. I mean, I don't know if they can make a decision as late as, you know, one o'clock on the that lunchtime and yeah. say we're wheeling these guys out. Um, That's the point because their squad has been released. The squad has been released. Presumably those players are back in Denmark, but their managers on holiday. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely crazy. Uh, so I think we've got a plan for that. In reality, if we end up playing, a, you know, a Danish league side or something, I think you're right. I think we've got to go for it because the nature of these games is a lot of these sort of three-way groups are going to end up being decided on goal difference aren't they because yeah. you're going to have a lot of even games potentially so I don't think we can afford an opportunity to you know put a few past someone and not take it equally it will count as a competitive game so it might be an opportunity to get a few caps into people that initially gives the thought they would just be squad for this and you know perhaps there's some we can we can widen the sort of experience net a little bit if that's how it works out uh, you know, if, if we have a hard game on on Thursday against the Irish, are we going to take it a little? Can we take it a little easier yeah, on yeah. Sunday? But um, but I think there's too many ifs and maybes in there to worry about. Anyway, you've just got you've just got a plan that you're facing. What in theory would be our hardest game, as you said, uh, and then and see what falls out come next Sunday. I personally would look at this as an opportunity to play some of the younger lads, and I would definitely be starting Ampadu in this mm-hmm. game cap him tie him down <laughs> um, and anyone else you're kind of having a look at really yeah. be it Dummett or um, 
you know, maybe Brooks, I'm not sure he's played in a competitive game yet, maybe tie him down. A few of them. And I think, like you say, we absolutely have to go for it. They're a team who look good at the World Cup. And I think this would be a great opportunity to boost the goal difference. As I say, boost our ranking, boost yeah. our seed in everything yeah. that goes along with it. And on the basis that everyone else, well, I say everyone else, the Irish, will probably at some point have to play them in a much harder setting. Um, I mentioned the Irish there. Another seamless link to you mentioned something earlier about the unfairness mm-hmm. of the way that some of these games have been organised. Yeah. Yeah, we, we covered this in a, an earlier podcast, but it seems you know appropriate to re- return to that right now. So, I don't. There's no way you can have three teams in a little unit and not have some of this stuff happening. Um, but obviously, there's six match days between now and November. Um, so we play on four of them. Ireland play on four of them. Denmark play on four of them, and then our other two obviously are the are the, the game in Albania and the game against the Spanish. So we are in the position where our first weekend is we have two games. Um, the Irish have their two games in the middle weekend and the Danes have their two games in the last weekend. And somebody's got to be in that position. When we were talking about this in the spring, I did wonder whether it was a disadvantage to have the two games near the start when you know everybody perhaps wasn't up to match speed and that sort of thing. But ironically, perhaps apart from Gunter, we're, we're probably okay in that. People have been getting play, yeah. playing time from at least what we would imagine the starting 11, for some version of the starting 11 being. Um, one of the things we looked at was the fact that the last game in, the, in the, like the six windows was the Danes against the Irish. We've finished by then. And obviously, when you've only got three teams, someone has to be the team that's finished. Um, but again, you can imagine a scenario where the Danes and the Irish kind of play out something that, that might suit both, both of them. The, the part that I think is actually a real advantage is the, the Irish doubleheader. Their two games are at home. Uh, and so that's the middle of the three. They play um, Denmark first and then they play, they play us. Um, and I think the fact that they've got their two they're two games at home and don't have any travel. Admittedly, it's not particularly far travel between between Denmark and us. Uh, but I do think it interesting that they've come out with the luck of having yeah. the two games at home. Um, and perhaps this is something that will kind of get ironed out as this Nations League gets embedded a bit more. Difficult to see quite how you can. Yeah. Uh, but it will be interesting to see... What I haven't looked at, for example, are there other groups where teams have that two-at-home part? Um, and going forward, do they, does that actually prove to be any, advan- uh, any advantage to those to those teams? But we won't know that for a while. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting setup. And I'm actually really looking forward to it, not just because Wales are playing again, mm-hmm. but just because of what's at stake. For those who are unaware, if you win your group, you get promoted to kind of like the, the A-League, which is the you know the the group that has your Germany's, Frances, and Spain. And if you come bottom in the group, you get relegated to the third tier, the C League, which I think has got Scotland in it, perhaps um, Austria. I think those, yeah, one. those yeah. sort of teams. If you win your group, also you're going to go to the playoffs for the Euros. If you don't 
qualify for the Euros by rights when that all comes around. There are bizarre sets of permutations then which we will bore you all with, but that's that's the long and short of it. Um, I think it's actually an interesting tournament. It's an interesting idea. It makes these games more competitive and more important. Yeah. You don't get stupid friendlies, like, which to all intents and purposes is a waste of time mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So, And people can learn a lot more from these as well. So I think it's... Uh, yeah, and I think the fact that obviously this is going to potentially affect our rankings ahead of the yeah. the qualification groups being being pulled in December, uh, but they're important for that if nothing else. Yeah. We want to want to try and hang on to as good a ranking as we can ma- manage ahead of those uh, European qualifying groups being sorted out. Especially when you look at now we've got Ireland um, at home to start off with, and what looks like being a weakened. Denmark team as well so I think it is really important we kind of step on the on the loud pedal with this and yeah. kind of get ourselves going ahead of that and I think that's the definitely the carrot that UEFA are dangling mm-hmm. isn't it that this matters if nothing else for your rankings for the yeah. for the. I mean by this time themselves. next week we could have six points in the bag and they'll both be sitting on zero potentially yeah. um, so you know that has has an impact and I think that's, I don't think perhaps this might be one of the small failings that the FAW has had lately in perhaps disseminating the the seriousness of this and the fact yeah. that they, you know there's there's real qualification potential through this and there's real ranking points and, and further qualification seedings that might become important. No, I agree. It's very important. I think it's a it's going to be a good tournament. I think and a lot to look forward to. Um, assuming that we're going to play. A rubbish Denmark team. <laughs> what do you think the score will be? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know the first thing about the Danish leagues and the, quali- the quality of it. And a lot depends on what we choose to do. Does it? Do we go in with a more or less our start in eleven and, and say, okay, we're going to play to half time. We're going to see how many we can hopefully, hopefully score. Not yeah. that that's necessarily been our, yeah. our our strength. And then and then spread the squad a bit. In the second half, God knows, Dave. It could be anything. It could be anything above. Yeah. You could you could go in thinking actually we'll put in a almost the under the under twenty ones because we've got most of the under twenty ones with yeah. us, haven't we? Um, and see what happens. I think it could be anything. I think the important thing is we've got to go in to try and well, one we've got to go in to win. You can't you can't be lackadaisical with that. And in theory, enough of a win that going back to what we were saying about the goal difference earlier with the girls that you've effectively created an extra point yeah. through the goal difference that you've generated because uh, like I said I can see a lot of these little groups ending up as a goal difference on goal yeah. I think it would be peak Wales to play a Denmark pub team and lose yeah um, absolutely so <laughs> I hope that you know that's kind of warded against I um, I think we've got to go for it I think we've got to put out our first team and we've talked a lot about gigs trying to improve our attacking play and and I think against uh, or perhaps weakened Denmark side I think is a great chance to do something like that and experiment with different things and playing four at the back instead of five and playing Giggs as a lone not Giggs yeah. um, playing Bale <laughs> sorry as a lone striker or maybe maybe he fancies a game <laughs> he looks in good nick to be fair to him uh, yeah playing Bale as a lone kind of striker in inverted commas I think if he wants to experiment with stuff, mm-hmm. you're not going to get a better chance if we do face that. I think if we do face that, I'd like to think we'll win, you know, two or three nil, and hopefully bump up the goal difference mm-hmm. a little bit. 
if we don't and this is all magically resolved and the manager cancels his holidays um, I think we're in for a really tough game yeah I think we might have, a draw might be a good result I would absolutely honest. take yeah. a take a draw yeah. um, before we finish there is one man who definitely deserves a mention and that is Hal Robson Carney who's announced his retirement from international football I do wonder if he was pushed or if he jumped but uh, I feel like maybe Giggs had said to him look mate you're not going to be involved and I know he said things about personal reasons so maybe you know there is something more to it as well and that combined with something that Giggs has said to him has maybe maybe pushed him no I, I get the feeling it's personal I get at the minute I get the feeling because we're so sparse with what you might consider as genuine strikers there's always the argument about whether he quite falls into that category yeah. but I think right now Giggs would rather have him as an option than not I don't know he didn't get he didn't pick him in recent squads no but is fit. that all connected I wonder whether it's all connected in maybe yeah um, I mean this, it's by the by yeah um, I think Hal Robson Carnu has is quite a bizarre player and I mean that in a very positive way because we I think he's played the best football he's played for Wales rather than for his clubs mm-hmm. he's never been prolific but he's still scored goals in very very important times and um, and I think he has represented Wales in a magnificent manner and you know we were talking about Andy King earlier being a God's good squad player and we've talked about Dave Williams in the past and Joe Ledley as well people who have just been integral to what we've done and you think about that summer he scored arguably two of the most important goals Mm -hmm. in the history of Welsh football Um, one of them is definitely the most important goal in Welsh football history no argument Um, and you could argue the Slovakia goal is up there as well but he's only scored five goals I think it's 44 caps five goals and every single goal was a big goal yeah. you know and the qualifiers against Cyprus uh, obviously the two goals in the Euros he obviously got a goal against Moldova yeah. which at the time we thought might help us qualify yeah. for the World Cup and then a, that header the, the header against Scotland, Scotland. Yeah. I just love the kit as much as that <laughs> as, as that from anything else like that red kit which I really like anyway but yeah. also with the uh, with the green with, socks yeah, and, and the, the snow, snow and, <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was quite something the Cyprus one might be the most important of them. You could make a case. You could make a case. Yep. I still think that Belgium. Mm-hmm. Not just because of how important it is in the game and the situation, but also it is probably the happiest I've ever been as a football <laughs> fan. Not probably, it is the happiest I've ever been as a football fan. Um, I put the football fan in there just in case. Joy <laughs> is still listening. I'm not sure she is. No, she's not. Good. It was the happiest moment of my life. Um, <laughs> It, um, I think of. I'm not going to go down the, uh, you know, people are talking. So I saw a, a, a petition being started for a statue of, of Hal, a bit much. But um, <laughs> I think we talked about this the the morning that happened, and there's this kind of era, if you like, of of a certain type of player that have kind of drifted away. And I mentioned a few of them there, and you mentioned James Collins mm-hmm. when we chatted as well. Just vital cogs in a wheel that didn't always turn very smoothly and you know definitely not the best 
definitely not the fastest or the whatever, but you know the role he's played for us. I'll always remember that night against Belgium in the qualifiers where he got that free kick, which you know that the goal ended up, or was it corner? I forget where that it that it came from, but I'll never forget that the, the work rate and. He he was just a phenomenal player, and I, he comes across as a bloody nice bloke mm-hmm. as well. And I think he's a loss to Welsh football at a time when we need someone like him. And I'm very, very grateful and thankful to everything he's done for us on a football pitch. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's a classic example of someone. And Owen von Williams was making this point in our podcast, wasn't he? Someone who wasn't Welsh but was Welsh yeah you know there's a classic of someone who finds their place and finds their home and that for me that's that's the only definition that's needed yeah um and and gave his everything time after time after time and uh, and clearly from the statement he made you know that was reciprocated as well he, he appreciates that we appreciated him yeah I think so um and like you say, it's a sad. It's a sad time to see some of these players moving on. There's been quite a few when you add it up. You know, I'd add Simon Church to that list. Oh for yeah, example. very true. Um, and it's that sort of realization that yeah, those days are not so far away for some of our very key players yeah. either, are they? And that's that's going to be hard when that when that day comes. One thing we mentioned, and if anyone from the FAW is listening, uh, you came up with a suggestion that maybe we should have some sort of I hope there will be anyway, maybe it's at the Spain game, some sort of presentation or yeah. I don't know, testimonial would be brilliant, but um, something um, where we don't kind of allow these players to just drift yes. off yeah. because they have done a lot for us. You know, Dave Edwards, Simon Church, um, Hal now and, and James Collins. Mm. I'm sure there's more if we kind of put our mind to it where they actually get some sort of farewell that they deserve because they do deserve something rather than to just kind of drift off Um, and I hope that 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 they are recognised at some point be it against Ireland now or Spain in October is it October? Yeah Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that's important and I hope hope they are recognised especially just because of the timing of it and, and how recently we have achieved the best we've ever achieved so yeah I mean given how right the FAW are getting things at the minute I'm, I'm sure they're I imagine they're on it yeah I'm sure they've got a plan <laughs> um, well I think that's pretty much we done all, we, all we've got to say so thank you very much for listening I hope you've enjoyed and come on Wales yep more, in- more important games to look forward to. It's exactly. A good time of year. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll probably do another one fairly soon afterwards. And if you've got any questions or anything you want us to, to say or talk about on the next podcast after the games, please send us a message on Twitter and let us know and we will do our best to include it in the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Good night.